We are at the beginning of Holy Week, Palm Sunday. And we are also at the conclusion of our series, God's Whisper. Learning to listen to his whisper in how we pray. We've been walking through the acronym of pray these last number of weeks. P being pause, R being remembering, A being asking, and this morning we'll talk about why, which is yielding. Yielding to God's will, yielding to his voice. In fact, in many ways, all of us are having to yield during this time. For many of us in this time, we are forced to yield. And though we try to fight against that force to yield, the best thing to do is yield to our force to be yielded. <laughs> because it's only in yielding where we will find rest. Now to me, Palm Sunday is the time to look at the story at the beginning of Holy Week. And it's a time for me to remember the kind of yielding I'm called to do. Because what we can see in Palm Sunday is Jesus' yielding to his Father's will. And the people's not willing to yield to God's will because they have a current expectation they've put on Jesus. And we're going to talk about that a little bit. Now, to be fair, Palm Sunday is kind of an inaccurate term for this day. Because actually this day was a special holiday in the Jewish culture. In fact, it was a very special moment in the year of the Jewish calendar because it was the time in which they selected the lamb for Passover. I'll talk about that more in a minute, but if you have your Bibles, would you open with me to Luke chapter 19? We're going to be looking at verses 28 to 40. Take a moment and open your Bibles to Luke chapter 19. We'll be starting in verses 28. After telling this story, Jesus went on toward Jerusalem, walking ahead of his disciples. He came to the towns of Bethpage and Bethany on the Mount of Olives, and he sent two disciples ahead. Go into that village over there, he told them. As you enter it, you will see a young donkey tied there that no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks, why are you untying that colt? Just say, the Lord needs it. So they went and found the colt, just as Jesus had said. And sure enough, as they were untying it, the owners asked them, why are you untying that colt? And the disciples simply replied, the Lord needs it. And so they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their garments over it for him to ride on. As they rode along, the crowd spread out their garments on the road ahead of him. When he reached the place where the road started down the Mount of Olives, all of his followers began to shout and sing as they walked along, praising God for all the wonderful miracles they had seen. Blessings on the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in highest heaven. But some of the Pharisees among the crowd said, Teacher, rebuke your followers for they're saying things like that. He replied, if they kept quiet, the stones along the road would burst into cheers. Now, if we just look at this story as an isolated moment, we would think, wow, these individuals like us are praising Jesus because their Savior has come. He is coming to lay down their life for him. But I wonder if they really understood that's what Jesus was about to do. See, 1,400 plus years earlier, it was Moses and Aaron in Egypt that were commanded by God to prepare for the final plague. The moment when the angel of death would come and take the firstborn child, son, firstborn son of all of those families in Egypt. 
And he said, this is what you're meant to do. On the first month of the year, at the 10th day, I want you to pick a lamb or a goat. One that is without blemish. You're to pick this goat or lamb and hold it for about four days. And then on the 14th day, you're meant to slaughter this animal and take its blood and smear it across the doorpost as a sign of your obedience. The angel of death will pass over and know which homes are those that serve Yahweh and which homes do not serve Yahweh. Now it's interesting because Jesus is actually walking into Jerusalem alongside probably tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of other Jews. At this time, at the beginning of the festival of Passover, there would have been Jews that would have came from all over the known world to descend upon Israel. This was a time where Israel grew in its capacity almost to over a million people, if not more. Some say it could have been millions that would have been in Jerusalem at this time. Now, if you've been to Jerusalem, you know it's a tight city. It's the way it's set up. It's not set up for an urban sprawl. So it would have been packed in there. And you would have had a lot of Jews gathering together. And the Romans would have been nervous. They would have been nervous because this would have been the time if Israel was going to try to overthrow the Roman government. Surely it would have been a time during this time when all of the Jews would have been there. Because every male in each family was required to be in the city of Jerusalem at this time. So Roman guards would have been there. They would have reinforced their troops. And interestingly enough, in years previous to Jesus arriving this day, there were other people that would have came and declared themselves as messiahs as well. Because it would seem to be the time that the messiah would come. Because in the Jewish mindset, the messiah would be one who would come as king to set them free and set up their nation separate from any oppression, like the oppression that they were experiencing by the Romans. But Jesus comes in a very different picture. He comes riding on a colt, not one that's tall and large and white, like Judas Maccabeus would have ridden in some hundred, couple hundred years earlier to set the Jews free, to declare freedom as a king. He didn't ride in on that. He came in humbly on a small animal, quietly riding his way alongside hundreds and thousands of other Jews. And as he made his way into the city gates, at the same time, every family was looking for an animal. They would have approached the Sadducees, the fine ones that were prepared potentially without blemish. The temple would have been picking their lamb at the very same time. Yet no one calls out, here is the lamb of God. They call out, here is the king. Jesus was coming to give his life as that lamb, but Israel wasn't looking to pick him as their lamb. They already had their lamb. They wanted him to be their king. They wanted him to to not worry about the spiritual things. They wanted Jesus to worry about the physical things, to set up a physical kingdom, yet Jesus was coming to save them, but not as a political leader, as a sacrificial lamb. Now we get this picture because Jesus comes to the point where he moves into the city and he's moved by emotion. Continuing in Luke 19, starting in verse 41. It said, But as he came closer to Jerusalem and saw the city ahead, he began to weep. One of the few times that Jesus actually is recorded as crying in Scripture. 
that he's moved to such emotion that he begins to pour out that emotion in tears. In fact, the, the word here is weeping, this loud, agonizing sound of crying out. And this is what he says. How I wish today that you of all people would understand the way to peace. But now it is too late and peace is hidden from your eyes. Before long, your enemies will build ramparts against your walls and encircle you and enclose in on you from every side. They will crush you into the ground and your children with you. Your enemies will not leave a single stone in place because you did not recognize it when God visited you. And Jesus is torn because his cry in his heart is that they would see that he's actually the lamb for them. That he's actually come for peace, but not necessarily a political peace, not necessarily a military peace, a peace within their heart. Shalom. A peace where all humans can flourish. Jesus is coming into the city to be the lamb that they would choose, yet they're all choosing their own lambs and are blind to see what he's actually coming to do. In some ways, this shouldn't be called Palm Sunday. This should be called Lamb Selection Sunday. The time where now we get to celebrate that we don't have to find our own lamb because we are gathered here today We are gathered to look and say, well, Jesus has been our lamb. And Jesus, at this time of our year, at the beginning of the Holy Week, looks to you and I and says, will you choose me as your lamb this year? Will you choose to yield to my plan in your life, not be stuck to your expectations of what you want me to do this year, but would you yield to the Father's plan for my life to be that sacrifice for you so you can experience his Whisper in prayer. When I look at this story, I'm so taken aback by all the ways that Jesus was willing to yield himself to the Father's plan. And it's interesting that even Jesus, in many ways, teaches us to pray in the same manner, that we would also yield ourselves to God's plan. When asked how to pray, Jesus said, this is how you're meant to pray. And one of the things he says is that we're meant to pray, thy kingdom come, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He gives us a picture that that in our prayers, in our pause, in our remembering, and even in our petitioning, that we are meant to do all that while yielding to the plan of God. That we're meant to yield, that we're meant to, maybe too strong of a word, submit to God's plan in our life. And we don't serve a God that hasn't done that very thing. As we see that it's Jesus yielding to the plan of his father as he rides the colt into Jerusalem, knowing that he would be that Passover lamb. Interestingly enough, over the next four years, every Jewish family would have their lamb and would spend the next, sorry, four days, not four years, over the next four days would have that lamb and spend the next four days inspecting it, bonding to it coming close to it. And we're going to see as we gather on Maundy Thursday that Jesus went to that same situation where the religious leaders came and close friends came and others came and they were inspecting him with their words and their dialogue to find out would Jesus be that perfect lamb. They they didn't fully understand what they were doing, but they were falling in line with Jesus becoming the fulfillment of the perfect Passover lamb. The one that would give his life on behalf of the broken covenant between God and all of his people. 
Jesus did so because he was willing to yield. And, and this Sunday, may we look at this next week as a time to remember that we are to also yield to God's plan in our lives. At a time right now where there's so much unrest and so much difficulty, so much frustration about what's happening, what a perfect time to step into a week to go, you know what, Lord, I can't control everything that's happening around me. And more so maybe ever in my life am I seeing that things are out of my control. And so while I pause and while I remember, while I come to you with my petition, in the end, Father, I want to yield to your plan in my life at this time. Now, yielding for me has been a difficult thing in my life to a certain point. Uh, Typically, I'm of the nature where I kind of like to control things. My wife's watching this right now. I'm probably sitting next to her as she's watching this and she's hitting me in the side. I I like to control things. I like to kind of make sure everything's okay. And the way my mind works, I've shared with this you shared this with you before, I like to think implicationally about what's happening and try to predict those implications. And oftentimes when things happen out of my control, I have a hard time yielding. I can remember my wife and I, while we were dating, we were in Thailand on a mission trip together with some others. And we had the chance to have an off day and I was leading the trip. So I set up this amazing off day where we were going to ride these river rafts down the um, small inlets of um, creek beds and river beds through Thailand Uh, We were going to eat local food and do this great stuff. And then it was all going to kind of come to the great celebration of the the day when we get a chance to ride an elephant. Now, if you know anything about me, one of the reasons why I don't like to ride horses or spend too much time with lots of animals is because I can't control them. I don't know what they're going to do. I'd much rather ride a motorcycle, some ATV or four-wheeled vehicle through some of the most treacherous terrain than an animal because I can control a machine. I have a hard time controlling an animal. Well, of course, we're on top of this elephant and the whole time I'm, I'm excited. It's fun. I'm sitting next to the woman I'm dating and this is an exciting moment. All our friends are riding these elephants, but I'll admit deep down inside, I was having a hard time because I didn't want to yield to this massive beast or the guy that was riding it and driving, I guess you could say, or guiding this elephant. That wasn't ever more vivid because oftentimes you feel these things on the inside, but they don't come out until the point when we pulled up alongside this small home and the guy who was guiding the elephant jumped off his head because he decided he wanted to go get his laundry because it was about to rain. And there I was sitting with my girlfriend on this massive elephant and no one to guide it. Well, I'm sure you can guess what happened. The elephant decided it wanted to do its own walk. At which time I started sweating and began to panic. And the one I was dating next to me, my wife now, Mina, looks at me and starts laughing. And she goes, would you just let it go? Everything's going to be okay. Surely enough, eventually the man came running back, grabbed the elephant and jumped on top of its head. And that became a family story. The time that dad was super scared when he went with mom and an elephant because he was panicked because the driver got off of its head. Because I couldn't yield to the fact that someone else was running this situation. I couldn't yield to the power of this beast. I mean, could you yield to that elephant? Some of you are laughing, you animal lovers, like, oh my gosh, I would have taken that thing on a ride on my own. (laughs) Yielding is tough for me. Because yielding means you let go of control. Yielding means you lay down an expectation. Yielding means you take a moment to say, I'm not in charge of the situation. What is God wanting to do here? 
Now, when I think of yielding prayer or how to pray with a yielded heart, I'm brought to the term meditation. Now, maybe when I say meditation, you're a bit nervous because you've heard that term used in many New Age contexts or maybe in yoga. But meditation has been something a part of Christianity, our Judeo-Christian world, for long before many of these other belief systems have picked up the form of meditation. In fact, you can see the ideas of meditation flowing all through the Psalms. Psalm 19, 14, May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Psalm 62, 1, I wait quietly before God, for my victory comes from him. Psalm 46, 10, Be still and know that I am God. There seems to be this idea of yielding and meditating on God's word as a huge proponent to getting to know who God is. I've been reading a book by a gentleman by the name of Pete Gregg, and he's written several different books, uh, founded a movement called 24-7 Prayer Movement. I think I mentioned him at the beginning of my series. And he talks about this idea of yielding prayer, or prayer and in our prayer being yielded to who God is in his character. Being yielded in the same way that Jesus was yielded on Palm Sunday or Lamb Selection day as he marched into Jerusalem on the horse that Jesus was yielded to God's plan. He said, this is how I know that meditation helps me yield to who God is. He says, taking time to yield in prayer allows us to show up, shut up, and look up. Kids, I know I just said a bad word if you're sitting with your mom and dad. I probably shouldn't have said that, but I didn't actually write it. Someone else did, so it's not my fault. He says that when we yield in our prayer, it actually causes us to show up and look up. It, It causes us to take a moment to stop talking, stop thinking, lay down our expectations, and yield to what God's will is. Maybe we've already been pausing and remembering. Maybe we've already had our time of asking, but now we just want to be with the one that we're praying to. We can see through scripture that Paul and John had radical experiences when they chose to yield, chose to yield in silence and had some, for, some form of meditational type of prayer. Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 2 and following, talks about a time where he was caught up in a third heaven, where he heard things from God spoke to him that were astounding, as the New Living Translation puts it. That Paul, in a moment of silence and focusing on who God is, yielding to him in his presence, being awake to the fact that God was around him, says he was brought to a third heaven. John had the same experience while in exile in Patmos, was yielded in prayer, meditating on who God was. And then in the book of Revelation, chapter 1, starting in verse 10 and following, it says that John heard a loud voice like a trumpet. It appears to me that this idea of yielding in our prayer makes us open to what God really wants to begin to speak to us. Now, when I think of yielding in prayer, there's kind of a three-part process or three-part journey or progression that I see that we can be mindful of when we want to take time to yield to God in prayer. The first one I mentioned is this idea of meditation. It's a time of stopping, pausing, and thinking about me and God. Which means I'm here and God's there and I want to yield and think about who he is. I just read several scriptures on how powerful it is to meditate on who God is, not just on who we are or the things we want. 
And we know that meditation's powerful because our heart can meditate on many different things. I've been in this situation in the last number of weeks in which an injustice occurred that I feel has occurred to me and I'm trying to figure out what my response should be. And every time I meditate on this injustice that's occurred to me, anger dwells in me. Frustration begins to rise up. Sleepless nights begin to occur. Why? Because I'm meditating my heart on this injustice. How I've learned to stop that is I've gone, I'm going to stop meditating on that. Let me just meditate on God's goodness regardless of the situation. For some of you right now, you're finding yourself meditating on the constant news and the media that's surrounding this current predicament we find ourselves in. That, that the constant bad news that as your heart meditates on that, it's creating worry and fear. My encouragement to you in this opportunity to share with you about yielding prayer is don't meditate on that. Meditate on God. Meditate during this season on his words. As a church, we've been gathering on a Zoom call every morning, Monday through Friday, from 7.30 to 8 a.m. In that time, we come together in the Zoom call and people start sharing the verses they have for us that morning and we begin to pray for, the, pray for the needs of our community, the needs in our church. It's been a great way to set my heart on meditating on the things of God. Because as I meditate on God, then I begin to contemplate who he is. And all of a sudden, the shift in yielding prayer moves from me focusing on him to all of a sudden realizing that he actually wants to focus on me. A gentleman by the name of Bishop Stephen Verney says this, It is not that I am contemplating the divine love, but that the divine love is contemplating me. He sees me and understands and accepts me. I believe when we yield in prayer to God's will and his nature, and we choose to take a moment to meditate on the greatness of who he is, in doing that, we begin to realize he's actually contemplating the greatness of his love towards us. That we all of a sudden become aware that God is being mindful of us. That it's like scripture says that his mind is full of thoughts about us. And as we meditate on him and realize he is contemplating us, then we begin to have communion with God. Yielding prayer's goal is to eventually come to a place of perfect communion with him. Knowing that we know who he is, knowing that he knows exactly who we are and accepts us and loves us. And then in that moment, we're caught in a space where we're in communion with him. Where we're caught up with who he is. This is where I think John started writing the book of Revelation. This is where Paul talks about being caught in a third heaven. This is this where the psalmist and King David talk about being still and knowing that he's God. This is all of that point of where we begin to see true change happen within our lives. True peace happen in our lives. Where we are captivated in the character of who God is. Captivated in the fact that we are in his very presence. To put it more simply, for me, I love watching science fiction films. Many of you might not like that, and now you're judging me because I said that. That's okay. <laughs> and part of why I love science fiction films is because it's like an alternate reality, and I will never take anyone with me to a good science fiction film who likes to talk during a science fiction film. Part of the reason why is because I like to get into the story and get caught up in the story. I like to almost feel like I'm there in space with everything that's happening, that I'm living in the future 20. 152, whatever the year is, and I, I'm in that space. 
And if someone's talking, they keep pulling me back to reality. Communion with God is like getting caught up in an amazing movie where it's got all of your attention and all of your focus and all of your emotion and all of your intellect, that all of you is captured in the presence of not a film, but of the loving grace of our Father. When we yield in prayer, we take time to meditate on who he is. We take time to contemplate that he focuses on us. And then we find ourselves in a perfect communion in our relationship with him. And to me, that's the ultimate goal of prayer. That at the end, it's this idea that we can find shalom no matter what circumstance we are in. Because we've paused to realize that he wants to speak in a whisper. We've remembered the greatness and the goodness of who he is. We've made our petitions before him. We've interceded for those around us. And in the end, we've brought ourselves to a place of communion with him. It is in my mind that when I envision Jesus riding that cult to Jerusalem, knowing the plan of his father, that I see Jesus in a perfect space of communion with his dad. There's people around. There's people shouting. There's palm branches waving. There's misunderstanding. There's betrayal about to happen. There's lambs about to be slaughtered. There's Roman generals yelling at people. There's chaos everywhere. But I just see Jesus in this perfect peace, knowing that he's yielded to the Father's will. And in that yielding prayer that Jesus is in, in that moment of communion with his Father, he's finding peace. He's finding joy. May we walk with Jesus in this coming week, desiring to find the same peace in communion with our Father, because we can do so now, because Jesus rode into Jerusalem that day thousands of years ago.